Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. The section that we're taking a look at here today is uh, Ki Tavo. Ki Tavo covers uh, Deuteronomy 26, 27, 28. And one of the key aspects of this particular passage is in the, <laughs> the discussion of first fruits and bringing the first fruits of your field. And one of the reasons why it was good to go over what, what's commonly called the parable of the prodigal son is we often think, oh, well, the parable of the prodigal son is all mostly about you know, having these two groups of people. And you know, sometimes it's presented as you have the new believers from the nations coming in, those that um, will be treating the kingdom of God with more respect. And then you have those that the older brother that were left behind not treating what they have with respect. But it is interesting as we come across it with this particular passage from the Torah and looking at it from the aspect of first fruits is looking at what you have and what your inheritance actually is of going into the kingdom. Because at the beginning of the parable, what is it that the younger son is asking for? What's his inheritance? Just give me my inheritance. And he gets his inheritance, and then what does he do with it? Squanders it. He blows it. And when he has a, quote, good time at the end of it, then he realizes what? messed up that the quote good time that he thought he was having was not something that actually would last and would not persist and go forward so in, in, a, in a sense that what you see here with the parable of the prodigal son is a microcosm of all those blessings and curses we just heard about in the past couple of chapters of Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28 the microcosm of that, the, the blessings of it, is what? If you were to put this back into the parable, the blessings would be to what? Stay with the Father. If you stay with the Father, then what? You will have these blessings. What are some of the blessings that we, we heard about in Deuteronomy 27, 28. You're not going to have to fear for your enemies. They will be afraid of you. You have the fruit of the field. Your, your crops will be abundant. So you're not to have to worry about scrounging around. But if you decide to, uh, no, I don't like this inheritance that I've been giving, and you just decide to go off, or as, as it talks about in Deuteronomy 27, 28, if you do not hear these words, things don't go well for you. So is this like some sort of magic charm that you just, you know, you quote, do the commandments, unquote, and then you get the, the lucky charm results from it? Or is it similar to what we had seen earlier um, in our redo or rehash of the what's often called the fifth commandment the one about honor your father and your mother because what what will happen as a result yes they live long on the land that it would go well with you that 
you would persist and it would go well with you. Because I don't know about you, but I grew up and you enter that the, the proverbial phase where you, you, you think that your, your parents, have now they don't have a clue. They have no idea what they're talking about. But then you reach a point in an age where what? You suddenly realize, wow, they were so wise. And hopefully you reach that stage <laughs> fast <laughs> before you do too much damage to yourself. But really, when you grow up, a lot of it is like the prodigal son. You reach that point where you, hopefully you're not like wallowing with the pigs. But you realize, oh boy, I really had it good at home. And hopefully you reach a time where you realize, oh, hey, the parents really did have it going and going in a good direction, that they really were trying to launch me in the right way. Now, it's something you always have to take into consideration that we're talking about with people. So there are a number of families where, you know, the advice of the parents, the directions of the parents was not so great. And that perhaps was a best thing for the children to move on from that. But if the parents are being faithful to the charge that they have in trying to launch their kids in the right direction, then it would be good to actually listen to honor them to and an honor would be to take what they have given you and then pass it on to your children and actually incorporate it in it yourself. Yes, Sularella. One thing that I've noticed a lot of people do is they dwell on the kid in the pigsty. Oh, they the, don't the go kid into in the pigsty, yes. level. The deeper level being you've lost fellowship with the father. Yes, lost fellowship with the I father. Mean, eating pig slop is one thing. Losing <laughs> your faith and your and your commitment to God, it's even worse. And a lot of times, people just oh no, he just he got broke, so mm. he went home. No, he also wanted to restore that fellowship, and he didn't feel like he was worthy. And yet, the father welcomed him back. Yeah. took care of him, gave him new clothes. He's not going to get any more inheritance. He's already blown his money. Yeah. But he's going to have a home with his father and hopefully with the brother. And it almost sounds a lot like what you, what you see at the, the resolution of this, especially as we get on to our next Torah passage where it talks about um, what will happen in the latter days where you know, this is... Um, Moshe, and as the representative of heaven, is providing full disclosure here. These are kind of like the legal disclaimers that everybody just ignores or flips through or just hits okay and make it go away. But in this, this is all the disclosure. This is everything that's going to happen if you move forward with it. And then as we get into our next Torah portion, I'll talk about, yeah, this restoration of the relationship is what heaven desires that is at the heart of it uh so Anne, uh do you have a comment or a question uh yes notice that the, the um, prodigal son when he came back he was willing to do some work for his father and not just come back and loaf and <laughs> take take over the the attic room that's available you know at 45 years old and now he, he knew mom and dad had it good so <laughs> but he was willing to work in the field and even even do the pig whatever uh, same thing that he had done before without having any money or anything. So right. humbleness is so important, and that, that that they're willing to continue to you know at some point become independent again. Although you know this looks like it's good to just come back in and stay with mom and dad since they have it so well. Yes, but that indeed is what, what a part of the, the, the whole uh, ceremony of uh, first fruits is, is um, about and related to, that it emphasizes 
where you come from and where things actually derive from. Because a part of that ceremony, as it talks about in Deuteronomy chapter 26, is you are relating basically a, you could say, a chain of custody of your blessings. How did they come to you? Did they just um, drop out of the sky? In a sense, they did with manna, because that was one of the things that was expressed, is that you were specifically given food that came right out of the sky, fall, fell sort of into your lap. You had to go out and collect it, but it came out of the sky for you. And you were sustained during these times of the 40 years and the movement from, from the house of bondage into freedom. But to acknowledge where that was that it came from and that chain of custody that went back, that it was, you know, you were the descendant of people who were wanderers, who were uh, fugitives, were pursued. Now, what were they fugitives or pursued from or going away from? Yes, there were people after them. Go back to Avraham. He went out of the land where he grew up in. There's traditions as to why he left. But the point of why he left was to follow where he was going to. Not so much where he was coming from, but where he was going to. And that who he would be in the process. Would he just be someone who would be like everybody else and adopt all the gods of all the nations around them? No, he would be different. He would be separate. He would be mighty in his few in number. He had his own private army. And that was powerful enough that the local chieftains of the city-states that were around him called upon him as a military resource to come uh, fix their problems. But he stayed apart from them. And then the legacy that moved on from Yitzhak, his son, then to Yaakov. And Yaakov, another wandering one who went off. And the interesting aspect of this part of the first fruits offering is you get an, a first fruits that might jingle your memory a little bit as we go back to Genesis because what do you remember about Yaakov and first fruits? Remember why he was wandering, so to speak, fugitive, so to speak, to begin with? His brother, the whole thing about his brother, and he was going off and fleeing, and then he had this encounter with heaven, there wrestling. And then he says afterward, well, if you will take care of me, then I will give you. I will give you the first fruits. I will give you that, that part of the blessings that you provide with me. And now as you go through that that blessing would finally come through and you saw that um, as you move on past the Torah and into the book of Joshua, that as they came upon Jericho, what stopped? The manna, that bread that came down from heaven stopped. But then what started after that? you would be now moving into the blessings of the land you were coming from. So that's why it's very interesting that you have that discussion there that you would be having your first fruits would be proceeding after that entering of the land. Because was that just because of how mighty and wonderful Yehoshua was? No, that was because of the Lord's blessings. Because it wasn't Yehoshua that was going up and shaking the walls down, was he? No, those walls were big, thick walls that they found archaeologically. And uh, yeah, it took quite a bit for them to come down. And uh, 
Yes, maybe the burning of the city afterward was something that he had directed, but getting to that point of burning the city was not something that Jehoshua took care of. It was the one who brought him and the rest of Israel in. That was the one. That was the one who took care of the walls. We talked uh, several Torah Torah sections earlier about the recounting of the spies and how you had 10 of the spies were saying, no, the walls are too high. But you had Yehoshua and Caleb said, big walls are not a problem for the one who's leading us. Big walls aren't a problem. They're not an issue. And yes, the voice of the Lord kind of resounding through with trumpets going around the walls of Jericho did in those big walls. So yes, in our in our lives we can face up against some big walls we think are just no way that we can pursue and get through them. But the one who is bringing us in to the land of rest and take care of those walls. So as we, as we look into uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26, you see that there is the, the ceremony there for the offering the first fruits of the land and that this harkens back and links this first fruits. And remember, as we were talking about the appointed times of the Lord, that first fruits is like a bookend of sorts. It's actually bookends within bookends. Because first fruits is tied to what? Appointments. It is a chain that goes between which appointments? Pesach and Shavuot. Passover and Pentecost. It's a chain that goes in between them. So we get the first end of that where the starting of the count goes. It's tied to Pesach. The other end of it, tied to Shavuot, where it ends. And those things of significance are what, as we discuss on a regular basis when they come up? Freedom from the house of bondage, taking us to what? The mountain. The testimony of who the Lord is. The one who freed you from the house of bondage to the testimony of the one who freed you from the house of bondage. So thus, with this thing of the first fruits, that's why it's so important and tied back to where it, where it all comes from and whose, whose blessing it actually flows through from. So one of the, the things that we see in the world today is we have quite a bit of confusion about where things come from. And you know, as this picture here, we have a picture for those that are just audio only. It's a some graffiti on a wall that says capitalism kills, kill capitalism, and it's got an anarchy symbol that's sprawled onto it. Now, that is making an assessment that's like capitalism is killing, so then you kill capitalism. And the idea being that it is an unfair system that is tearing us apart. So thus, you take apart the system and now have the ownership of all things to be more free and spread between people. Now, one of the things as we uh, move forward with this particular thing, we see it also and again with, uh, this is, <laughs> might have heard of uh, Woody Guthrie, and that the song, you know, this land is your land, this land is my land, this land is made for you and me. Well, the one, verse 4 is often dropped. It was dropped from the 
the, the version that he recorded to sell war bonds during the World War II. But the one that he wrote back in 1940, uh, in direct response to the song, you know, God Bless America, you know, God Bless America, da 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 you know, land that I love. Well, he wrote this in direct opposition to that. In verse 4, he says, well, there was a big high wall there that tried to stop me, and a sign that was painted said private property. But on the backside, it didn't say anything. Well, God blessed America for me, and this land was made for you and me. So one of the, the key oppositions that's coming to this is like, oh, well, thus everything is available for everybody. There is no, there should be no distinctions between this and that. But one of the things that we saw in the particular passage we just read in Deuteronomy 26 through 27, or through 28 and into 29, is one of, what are one of the particular curses? Cursed is he who moves the boundary stones. What does that mean? And as we went through the passages earlier and the instructions earlier in one of our readings in Deuteronomy, and it talks about boundary stones, what are they? We encounter boundary stones in a couple of key places in the Torah. Where are we first? Yes. Inheritances, yes, the defining uh, where an inheritance is. But as far as boundary stones, where do we kind of first encounter them? Yes, Larry? Oh, I don't remember that. I was going to say it has to do with covetousness, though. Covetousness, yes. Because what do boundary stones mark? A boundary, yes. And what is a boundary? Was it Abraham that got the first? Boundary. Well, one of the key places where you see them are uh, not necessarily marked as boundary stones, but the pillars around the mountain, Mount Sinai. And those boundary stones marked what? You know, if you were to kind of put it back into this song, it's like, you know, this mountain is my mountain. This land is my land as it was what the Lord is saying. This, this land is the Lord's land, so don't just wander up into it whenever you think you want to. And thus, in the, land, in the instructions that were then given to the people, is with boundary stones, those mark boundaries with individual properties. And then we saw the instructions to the tribes. What were the instructions for the tribes, especially in the days of as we read about with the Yobel or Jubilee and the Shemitah year or the sabbatical year, what happened with those times of the going back of property to the original owners? You had to retain the original tribes that were there because one of those things, we were talking about boundaries, what things are set in place that the Lord puts in place, do not just go and take those things apart. So if you see a boundary between you and your, your neighbor, you don't just move it because you want it. You want it to be different. You want it to be a different size. And we saw that with the instructions that we just went through in uh, our previous Torah passage related to relations between um, male and female, and the things that are appropriate and the things that are not appropriate. We even saw some of those in the blessings and curses here and our reading here today. You don't just go and move those boundaries because you want those boundaries to be different. There are the boundaries that are in place, and you respect the boundaries, and you don't just go move them. Because one of those things that you see as um, if you are invited into someone else's home, what then has happened? Have you broken in? No, you've been invited in. So if you are invited into someone's house, do you own the house? No, you are a guest in the house. 
And a very similar thing that we saw in the blessings and curses that is being explained to Israel. It's like, yeah, you're, you can come in here. You're invited in. This is your place where you're going to rest. But if you don't like the way this place is run, the way the land is run, what happens? You can leave. You'll be also showing the door. You'll be showing the door. And as we go into our next tour passage, we'll see, yes, you're completely showing the door, which kind of goes into a very interesting discussion that's very um, important for our talking about today because there is a big attack on this idea throughout the world. And people will just think, oh, this is just crass commercialism. No, actually, no, it's not. Um, when you're talking about the morality of wealth, uh, the, when we call capitalism, before capitalism, there was what was called mercantilism. Mercantilism uh, goes back to the original idea of, we, we call them today, hard assets, metals, precious metals, things that people say, ooh, that's glittery. I, I like it. It's pretty. And, you, and people will say that's got high value. So those are the things that are truly important. So in those things, the nations would say wealth ownership must be protected. So if England's got the gold, England's got to keep the gold. And if France has the gold, France has to keep the gold. You've got to be very jealous about your gold or your silver or whatever other precious baubles that you are holding in any particular thing. Now, in, when uh, Adam Smith came along, you might remember him, of, it's called the, uh, <laughs> they have that picture of the invisible hand, uh, free market uh, economics. Well, he came in with the um, very important treatise that he wrote. Most people know of as the wealth of nations, but the full title of it is the in- an inquiry into the nature and causes of the wealth of nations, and uh, interestingly enough, published in 1776, kind of an auspicious year. But one of the the key things that he put forward was that the wealth of a nation is not just in these hard assets, but it's in what you do with those things, what you produce, meaning that you don't have to be greedy about your gold. Because unlike gold, what you can produce is not limited to how much gold you have. Your wealth can actually grow if it's actually based on something. Yes, uh, Tammy, you have a uh, comment or a question here? That's why even though Singapore is a city-state, tiny country, it's like the 10th wealthiest country it's like in the top 10 or 20 wealthiest countries in the world, even though they have very few people living there, is because of this. It's not because of all the gold and silver they have, but it ha- it's because of the people and their willingness to produce and engage in commerce and free trade. What they, what they do with it. What they do with it. Yes. So one of the things that resulted from this, um, mercantilism moving into a what became called as capitalism. Uh, capitalism is from capital. And capital is, is, okay, it's more than just hard assets, your gold, your baubles, and this and that and the other. But it's also things like land and labor, especially. Land, labor, these things can then produce more and do more. And then you had some, uh, what then moved on into the 19th century or the 1800s. And as you get to the middle part of the 1800s, you have these philosophers that started to crop up. And Karl Marx is only one of them, but there was a number, especially came out of France, that rightly, in some cases, observed that, well, you are just exploiting people because you are taking their capital. And that's why Karl Marx had this idea of Das Kapital was his main work, was that the capital of the, the worker, the worker's capital, you are robbing him of it. He cannot freely use his own capital of his own labor to become a painter or you know, go and lay on the beach all day long. He's not free 
with his labor as he would want to be to fully self-actualize himself. It's a valid observation, very valid observation. Except that one of the things that was frequently forgotten with the, and not only by those that pursued um, Adam Smith's ideas of free exercise of trade, but also by uh, (laughs) those critics of it, was Adam Smith's first work. When he wrote the on the wealth of nations as it became be known he wrote before that in 1759 the theory of moral sentiments this was so you could think of the wealth of nations which talks about how nations talk with each other and trade with each other that you can benefit if you um can share each other's strengths share each other's strengths to work toward the betterment of everything. Well, that only works really with his first book that he wrote on moral sentiments. Now, this is hugely important. This sounds like a boring economics lecture. This is hugely important by what is happening in society today and why the instructions that you see in Deuteronomy when it talks about boundary stones and why it's so important that you respect people's boundary stones not only just physical boundaries, but also boundaries between human relations between people, respect other people, or as we call it in the golden rule, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. So you don't want someone to just willy-nilly move your boundary, so you don't move someone else's boundary. So in the theory of moral sentiments, there's basically three buckets of ideas if you were to boil the whole thing down. And um, one of the first is, and they kind of cascade upon each other. So with these three elements that come from moral sentiments is how you must see on the wealth of nations because capitalism without moral sentiments can be exploitive. Just like what the Apostle Paul warns is is that the law is good if you do what with it? Use it lawfully. So in a similar way, when you have relationships, you have to have the right heart. It's what Deuteronomy is all about. We read earlier, oh, I wish they have a heart in them. And as we're going to see as we get into the end of Deuteronomy about the heart of the people, that the words of the Lord are close to you. They're on your lips and they're in your heart. So choose life. Don't choose death. So in the theory of moral sentiments, first part is self-interest and sympathy. So he, Adam Smith observed, well, it's just prudent to watch out after yourself. It's just self-survival. But that only really gets you so far because once you really just take care of yourself, then you realize, well, to expand any further, you need to observe the needs of other people around you. We call that sympathy or even empathy. You're you're, uh, trying to learn the emotional and feelings and needs and wants of other people. So in the process, okay, you have your own needs taken care of. You start looking at, well, what do other people need around you? To say, okay, so I've got my thing, but what about other people? Because one of the, you know, we always talk about disasters and preparing for disasters. Well, if you've got your own self taken care of, to ever ever climb out of that hole of the disaster, you need to do what? see what the needs of other people are because otherwise you're just going to be a bunch of people living in a tent off in the hills somewhere i got my own stuff well there's going to be a bunch of little tents around and it's never going to claw back up into being a family or a society like in a family if everybody just retreats into their own bedroom so to speak or their own selves and they never reach out or look to see what the needs of the other people in the family are what happens to the family? It disintegrates. You just move farther apart. You don't actually accomplish anything. Because something else from the great part of the Proverbs is 
a one man may get cold, but other people coming together can stay warm. And they use the other thing of the one strand or one cord can break. But you start combining those together, the three-stranded cord is not easily broken, not so easily broken. So you combine your strengths together, you become stronger. And that goes back to the garden. Because what is the first thing that the Lord says to Adam, or saying, I guess, about Adam? It's not good that man be alone. So thus comes Chava. He makes Chava, or Eve, to be the companion. So thus, you get the the formation of why you do not uh, step on families, break families apart, break between husband and wife, break between you know parents and children. You don't go in and you break it. And if anybody is advocating anything, you know, don't listen to your parents. Keep this from your parents. Don't tell them about it. This is between us. They're not smart enough to understand it. Danger. Those people are a poison and evil because they are moving your boundary stones. They're moving your boundary stones. So the other thing in uh, theory of mortal sentiments, so from self-interest and sympathy, so once you move from self-interest to sympathy, you now can see other people as a part of your society. Then for justice, okay, so now other people are interacting with each other. Well, then what if one person is starting to grab stuff, so to speak, to take other people's things from them, whether their safety, their goods, whatever, their relationships, then you need justice. When people start interacting, you need to have justice. And then besides justice, you're like, okay, things, people are acting just the basics. Okay, well, that's great. You don't start wars all the time. But what about actually improving things? Then that leads to beneficence, or what we, we would call goodwill. You know, that's where you get the instruction that Yeshua says right at the end of the preamble to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Right after he says, you know, the you know, don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. But not one stroke or not one t- jot or tittle is going to pass from the law until everything is accomplished. You know, heaven and earth is going to pass away, but before any bit of this is going to pass away. Then he continues on in verse 20, and he's saying that your righteousness must do what? Exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So if you're keeping the law, that's justice. You're just status quo there. But you need to go beyond that into actually moving outside of yourself again. So you moved outside yourself first with the sympathy and empathy. And then you've established the boundaries between each other. Now you're like, okay, now working within these boundaries, how then do I benefit other people to do good for other people? And thus, you see, when you're talking about the Spirit of God and the fruits of the Spirit, those are all doing what? Grabbing from somebody else or what? Helping somebody else. Those fruits of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul talks about. And now moving on beyond that, to virtue. Oh, uh, sorry, Larry, before I go on. Um, uh, yes. I think while we were reading this morning, I don't know exactly why, just right now, but, you know, we, we, are, we are held accountable by other Christian uh, um, denominations for thinking that we're going to get salvation through our works. And we keep saying, no, we don't think that. We get salvation comes from God through the Messiah. But that's because we can't make that happen. He's the only one that can make that happen. And he decided he, that's how he's going to do it. But we do have to do works. If you re- read, when you read through 
what Messiah said. He talks about works all the time. And he said, you'll be rewarded for your works. So works are extremely important. Like you're saying, we're going to add to it. We can't get saved by just works because we can't do that. But, but, but where, where is the like, beneficence coming from? For it to be true, genuine, and actually healing and lifting up, it has to come out of where? Within you. It's got to come from within you, not just from the outside that you're bolting on. Because what happens if it's just from the outside bolted on to you? Like James said, you believe? That's good. Great. Well, the demons believe too. Yeah. <laughs> They're better than we do. <laughs> yeah, they can have more assurance of what the reality really is. Yeah. But, you know, when we bump against adversity some of those things that are bolted on to ourselves can break off so to speak to punish that metaphor further but it's very interesting that adam smith says that as an impartial spectator on um how situations go if you are really reaching out beyond yourself and you're fully empathizing with other people and that then will make you, he calls it self-command, but self-controlled. You are working to, within yourself, to restrain your actions. And they're not just based on willy-nilly ideas of, well, I think I know this or that. You have the instructions from the creator of heaven and earth to give us the direction of where things go. So, that's why it's really important in today's society that we leave you just with this one little thought from on moral sentiments here that Adam Smith writes, how selfish soever man may be supposed, there are evidently some principles in his nature which interest him in the fortune of others and render their happiness necessary to him, though he derives nothing from it except the pleasure of seeing it. So this moral sentiments is heavily steeped upon the culture, the instructions of the Bible. And thus you can, you can see that it's very, it's the same thing that we see in the Psalms, in the Torah, where it talks about why is heaven having favor? Why does heaven create? just for the joy of it. Just like when we read uh, at the beginning of each Shabbat from Isaiah chapter 58 about the Shabbat. You call the Shabbat a delight. You delight in it. It's a memorial of where things come from. And for us, it's a memorial of the rest that we have, this reaching a destination where we belong place where, where we truly don't have to wander anymore. We're not a fugitive anymore. So as we uh, kind of go back to our discussion of these particular aspects of the first fruits, I hope that we can see here that these blessings and curses and why it appears why they're located in this particular section right after this, this uh, ceremony of the first fruits. Because as we saw a couple Torah passages before, where we have that particular passage um, that's a part of the blessing after meals, come back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it's like, you will remember after you've entered the land and have eaten your fill, what? How wonderful we are and that we are the masters of everything and it just, well, I should pat myself on the back so much for this big pile of food I have on my plate. Or it's like, where does this all come from? That's what Shabbat is all about. It's a weekly memorial of where everything comes from and 
where we can see that things got started and where they're going back to. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 5, you get the added aspect onto that. It's a reminder also of the one who freed us, freed that generation from the house of bondage, and frees each of us from what was keeping us in bondage before. So unlike someone like Karl Marx who would say that we are being oppressed by this power and that power and you know, we just can't fully actualize who we should be. We are in full control of ourselves. We are in full control of ourselves. That we can act with virtue. We can step out of ourselves and our own self-interest to see the interests of others. That in our seeing the interests of others, that we pursue justice. We love mercy. We love favor. We love kindness. We love chesed, that loving kindness for other people. And we walk humbly before God. So that promise that you see that comes out of Deuteronomy is as relevant today as ever, and probably even more so, because you have younger generations that are being poisoned by those who just say, hey, other people have got stuff. You know, we're not back in mercantilism anymore where he's got the gold and I don't. No. The one benefit that you see that comes from this idea that Adam Smith taking Bible principles and explaining them for everybody is that if you reach out of your own greediness, you will see the needs of others and fulfill those needs. Because if between nations or between people or between businesses, if you um, exploit somebody, how likely are you going to be able to do so again? You know, the old saying, fool me once, shame on me, fool me. Yes, the other way around. I always screw things up. Yes, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Exactly. Because that, you're not going to be able to do that again. So if you mess up a situation between nations, I mean, we're seeing it right now between these powers like Russia and Europe, you know, you try doing some sort of deal again, what is Europe going to do? I'm going to just dive into that deal again? No, not so likely. So thus, the golden rule, the what you have in Leviticus 19.18, to love others as a way of getting on in your relations that you treat others the way you would want to be treated as a way of loving others. That that is a way that you can call it the win-win situation. You should always look for things that will benefit each other, whether you're an employer with your employees, whether you're a shopper working with a business whether you are an employee working with your employer, those aspects, you should be always looking for what will benefit each other. And in the process, thus, everybody will grow. And that's when you're talking about moving more towards towards the, the heart of God is for looking to the needs of other people. Because that, when we say, see what your master is doing, and then do likewise, well, what did we see our master doing? What did we see the Mashiach doing? Healing, serving, pouring himself out unto death. To do what? To lift up the world. Yes. So, Lorella, I'm sorry, going on. I just wanted to say that um, we, as followers of the way, have a real responsibility. Yes. We need to 
keep our boundaries in place, teach our children to establish boundaries and put them in place. I think of a teacher at a school. Uh, my son came home and he said, there's no kids in here, so I can say this. He said that his teacher said, how do you know you're not a homosexual? You've never tried it. He was able, He came to me and he said, this one is beyond what I can do. What do I do? How do I respond to that? So we have, we have people in our community. We have people around that look to be people of authority. We have to take that responsibility to make sure that we protect our children against, I'm just going to say it, nutcases like that. There's all of that kind of temptation. If we don't establish those boundaries within those children as to what is right and what is wrong at birth, we could lose them. We could end up with a bunch of kids running around and slopping hogs and not being able to eat. It's just something that's been very much on my mind lately because I've seen more of it. It's escalating. Yes. And that's why you know, this is an exploration through um, just talking about pushing back on the ideas today related to economics. But that's just one aspect that comes straight out of the Bible related to boundaries and relationships between people. Now, you know, it brings up the point of, well, love is love. Well, love is not actually love. As you see, going back to what we talked about before, with the relationship, the first relationship that's recorded in the Bible, and the human relationship recorded in the Bible. Man, it's not good to be alone. So God created a helper for man, and those two are to be echad, together, one, united together in that. So all relationships are not all the same. Just like you see the relationships between people, not all the same. The one who approaches and says, well, everything is mine, is not the same relationship between people as one who says, well, your stuff is your stuff, my stuff is my stuff. And that's good. As long as as we saw with the moral sentiments, that I'm looking for what you need, you're looking for what I need. And thus we can work together for the betterment of everybody. But that situation of, you know, yours is mine and, and mine is mine, that doesn't work out long term. So not all relationships between people are equal. Uh, yes, Ann, as we kind of close the things out here today. I'm just thinking of California and the idea of community property. Mm. You know, like, well, in, in, a, in my situation, I came from Illinois, and, and, um, and in the beginning, I was here as a non-resident, so the tax issue didn't really bother me that much. But then when, when, uh, when I was here over a year, I had to declare myself a resident. Just, yes, uh, go ahead. So then so then I had to um I had to declare myself a resident so I had to either take on my husband's my ex-husband's uh income and pay his for his income from Illinois as if he were living here in Illinois. So then the decision had to come up, well, we're not really together that way any longer as husband and wife. Uh, and I do get an alimony, so you know, I was able to able to separate that up by having to say I, I'm a divorced person because I didn't want to be a divorced person. But the community issue here in California forced me to do that. You know, it's like mm -hmm. well, when it came to the people in Southern California where they're actors and actresses and they're always remarrying and that, I guess that's mm -hmm. why California decided community property. Yeah. Well, it's, that, it's that, that may not be a yeah. It's it's one of those things of um, like with California. Um, that's one of the aspects, kind of like what we were seeing with with Karl Marx. 
he was addressing a legitimate concern that there were those that were taking advantage of their authority, as you would call it, power structures or whatever, to dominate over other people. And the same thing happened in marriage relationships. So thus you end up with laws upon laws because people have dominated over other people in the process, whether in marriage or like when you get into estates after someone dies and the, the people are fighting over it. So then the probate laws get longer and longer and longer to help with these disputes of people not respecting each other in the process. And thus, you have the multiplying of laws, where it's been mentioned many times, one of the founders of our particular country, the United States, mentioned that you know, our constitution, as it originally was, was made for only people who are self-governed. And it's not really adequate for any other, because if you have it very limited in its restrictions, that's great if you're like what Adam Smith is talking about. You are, have virtue, you've gotten down to that level where, where you are a, a very keen observer of other people's needs and what's happening between people. That's great. If you're living a very Torah observant and you're very cognizant of people's boundaries and such. If you're very cognizant of that and the Spirit of God is really having you look like a laser at other people's relationships and other people's needs, your laws don't really have to be that extensive. But once people start losing that idea and they start grabbing more stuff into themselves, you know, saying, mine, mine, mine. Well, then you have a lot more rules that you have to have to, quote, keep the peace, so to speak. And sadly, then you can also have them that go far overboard in what they are trying to do, even to the point of redistributing things from grabbing things out of someone's hands and giving them to somebody else so to speak uh larry i'm, I'm sorry going on Morning. touching on something that i was thinking about too when we were talking about this was that we are what the way they have a term now that they are using called enlightened self-interest yes enlightened in other words if we know that we can if we do things that make other people happy and and content it'll be easier for us because it's easier to be happy in an environment of happiness than it is in an environment of you know something else hate and and inquisitiveness but really we have to be we have to i think we have to think about that we are limited in our understanding of the of the way that things work and that's what's so wonderful about the torah is 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 our god who knows how everything works laid it all out for us it's like moses said this is not too hard for you right, not you can hard. do this you can't do with all these other things way beyond it like make your own salvation you can't do that but you can do this and this will work for you and i think we have to look at it i hate to quote dirty harry but he's one of my <laughs> he has this one thing he says man's got to know his limitations that's right? right and we we do have to know our limitations and that's one of them right there we have to follow the torah to get around the fact that we're just too limited to understand how everything works and do it right. Yeah, and, and the Apostle Paul brings that up brilliantly when he's talking about that in Romans. It's like, you know, I wouldn't have known this had it not the law not said that. And that then created offense and said, oh, there might be a sign that says, you know, do not enter. Don't go any farther in this direction. But I may not have known that and unless, you know, the heaven had brought that forward. Yes, uh, Sam. Uh, yeah, my, uh, you know, my, my, my prayer for this uh, assembly is uh, what we, uh, we will take what we are learning, you know, to heart and put it to practice. Yes. Because all this thing is, uh, you know, it's good, but uh, we yield no fruit. Mm. if we do not apply it you know so my prayer for this assembly is you know we will be 
such uh, people that has you know the heart for the word and put it to you know to practice yeah and th- and that's that's what you see is the uh cry of the lord that you see that we've read in deuteronomy oh that they would have a heart in them that they would hear it and do it and do it because it's coming out from inside of them not because someone else is going to smite them You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.